concluding our discussion of the matter of repentance in connection with the question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible, we were dwelling upon the proof of a truly repentant heart, a humble seeking the face of God in prayer and confession of sin until free pardon is obtained. When we become conscious of our great and persistent sin against God, a great burden of guilt settles down upon us. Along with this pressing load upon our hearts, there begins to grow within us a confidence that there is hope of forgiveness through the atoning death of Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, even as Jesus declared in John 16:14, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Because the Lord Jesus suffered for the sins of the whole world, we begin to understand how this great event makes it possible for God to forgive us righteously. Our faith grows until we fully receive his atoning death. At this pinnacle of faith, forgiveness and salvation takes place. But let us read on in the Bible. We come to Joel chapter 2 and verses 12 to 14. Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil, who knoweth if he will turn and repent, and leave a blessing behind him. Thus the prophet Joel spoke forth as the prescription of how a man ought to seek the mercy of God. As we come to the New Testament in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, we read these solemn words from our Lord Jesus Christ. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Here we have the urgent commands, ask, seek, and knock. And thus it is vital that the sinner must seek the Lord for forgiveness if he's going to obtain the manifestation of the wonderful blessing of God. In Luke chapter 13, Verses 23 to 25, we read further from the lips of our blessed Lord. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto them, I know ye not whence ye are. Thus the Lord admonishes us that we must seek with that persistence of a striving humility. In the 18th chapter of Luke, verses 13 and 14, we read that familiar publican's prayer, God be merciful to me a sinner. And the publican standing afar off, notice his absence of boldness, 
would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven. Notice his true humility. But smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Thus it is imperative that we humble ourselves and seek the face of God if we're going to have his glorious forgiveness. The Apostle Paul sought God in penitence for salvation. You recall that for three days he was blind, having been blinded by the great shining light that shone down above the brightness of the sun. And there he did neither eat bread nor drink water, we are told. In the ninth chapter of Acts, we are told how Ananias was called as a special servant to visit the apostle Paul. And in verse 11, the last part, we read, Behold, he prayeth. So the apostle was seeking the face of God. And in verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, had sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. According to Acts chapter 15, when folks were filled by the Holy Spirit, verses 8 and 9, we read, And God, which knoweth their hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So this glorious event at the end of these three days of seeking the Lord was the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the apostle and purifying his heart from the guilt and load of sin. He went on to command that those folk at Athens ought to seek the Lord, as we read in the 17th chapter of Acts. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and had determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. And then in verse 30 we read, that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent, and in this process of repentance, men were to seek God with all their heart until they found the glorious manifestations of God's tender and kind mercy. In the 10th chapter of Romans and verse 13, we read this command, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if men are going to be saved, they have to seek the face of God until such a glorious transformation takes place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verses 24 and 25, we read that the aim of the church of Corinth was that the unsaved might fall down on their faces and seek God. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So their purpose was that the secrets of men's hearts might be made manifest, that the process of conviction might truly operate in the unsaved, and that they would prostrate their hearts as well as their bodies before God in the humble seeking 
for the pardon and forgiveness of the great, loving, merciful God. In the seventh chapter of 2 Corinthians, verses 9 and 10, we read this concerning the manner of seeking God. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. This process of godly sorrow is when we seek the face of God in utter prostration of heart, beseeching God to forgive us our sins. And then in 1 John 1, 9, we read this plain statement, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So it is necessary not that we generalize on the matter of sin, but that we truly confess our sins before the great God. And in chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 6, we read something that how we must seek the Lord with an attitude of faith, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Thus it is overwhelmingly a fact of biblical revelation that man's unsubmissive attitude limits the exercise of the loving kindness and mercy of God. God in great grace has removed all the heavenward problems to the proper exercise of mercy. The Lord Jesus Christ, by his blessed atonement for the sin of the whole world, has made possible the exercise of mercy to every person on the face of the earth. But it is a fact that all are not recipients of the mercy and transforming grace of God. God does nothing arbitrarily, and therefore we must look for the reason among ourselves. The reason cannot be in some sovereign elective choice on the part of God, for the Bible tells us many times over that there is no respect of persons with God, as in Romans chapter 2 and verse 11. It only remains to conclude that it is man alone who now limits the exercise of God's mercy. It is man's reaction through the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world that makes the solemn difference. Thus we may sum up our thinking that when man repents of all sin, assumes a reverential attitude before the majestic God, fully consents to live according to the intelligence or according to God's revealed will, renders to his Creator the love of his heart which God will kindle anew, turns from selfishness to a benevolent and forgiving disposition, and will seek God in all earnestness and penitence, as conveyed in the words, God be merciful to me a sinner, then a new and glorious moment will dawn upon his consciousness. God will not merely proclaim a word of pardon, but will conduct himself in the profound depths of the spiritual realm somewhat like the father of the prodigal son did in the parable that Jesus spoke about. You recall that the son, in desperation, planned his penitent approach. But the father saw him when he was a great way off, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. We read in Luke chapter 15. All this energetic love, 
was bestowed before the Son had a chance to say a word, it appears. And so it is with the great loving God. As soon as God beholds a real sincerity of heart in a penitent sinner, there is an overwhelming joy. It is just like the glorious mercy of God to require no more of the painful acknowledgment and confession of sin than is absolutely needful for our humiliation. God is not insistent upon vindictive retaliation. Oh, the wonders of God's love and mercy. Paul the Apostle could find no proper words to describe it. He could only say, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. He could only refer to God as doing exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think. And so in the parable, as the son, amidst all this love, was able to speak forth his confession, it appears that the father interrupted him before he could say all that he had planned to say in his humiliation. Before he could say, Make me as one of thy hired servants, the father had already directed an opposite course. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And just so Jesus said, Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repented. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that many may seek thy face in true penitence, and through faith in Jesus Christ, their Savior, find forgiveness and reconciliation to thy great and merciful heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.